Hello and welcome to Fast Charge, the weekly smartphone podcast from the team at TechAdvisor. I'm your host, Don Preston, joined by the stalwart faithful Lewis Painter and Henry Burrell. Hello. For what is, Hello. I promise, actually our final episode of the year. <laughs> and I know we said it would be last week and then it didn't happen last week and it's now happening this week. This is the last one. Um, we are pre-recording this. We are not live uh, for reasons, which we'll get to. Um, that will change a little bit of what we're going to talk about, so we'll cover that as we go. But we will be talking primarily about the launch, finally, much delayed, eventually happened on a random Sunday, of the Xiaomi 13 and 13 Pro, the big 2023 flagships from Xiaomi. We'll then be turning to Oppo's latest foldables, the Find N2 and the Find N2 Flip, their little clamshell rival to the Galaxy Z Flip 4. And then finally, we're going to talk all things 2023, and we're going to rattle through a few of our predictions for what we're going to see in the phone industry next calendar year. Uh, before that, let's rattle through some little bits and pieces of news from the last week or two while we haven't been here. Um, so first up, a little oddity. I'm not entirely sure how significant this is, but it's interesting enough that I think people might want to know. Um, Huawei and Oppo have signed a global patent cross-licensing agreement to cover tech, including 5G, Wi-Fi, and audio video codecs. Um, mm. This could be one of those things where it never makes a jot of difference to the average consumer <laughs> and you never really notice anything and it just slightly changes which bits of tech they each put in their phones and that's that. Obviously, people will start looking at this and wondering if it starts changing things like Huawei's 5G access and component access. I'm not sure. This is patents, not parts. So I, I don't think there's any reason to think this will meaningfully change how Huawei operates. I also yeah. wouldn't read into this anything like, oh, this is Huawei giving up on the phone industry. They're just, you know, now signing deals with Oppo. I, I don't think that's it either. Um, it's probably one of those things that ultimately just fades away and you never really know what happened. But <laughs> there's a chance this is some sort of shifting in, in those two companies in, in how they run things. Certainly for Huawei, you can imagine this might be a sign of, of bigger changes going on in their outlook because I know there's been a lot of reporting recently on what Huawei's outlook is, especially globally speaking. Um, do you guys think there's anything to this or is this just little backroom dealings? Yeah, I think it's got to be backroom dealings. I can't, I can't imagine that there's anything drastic that's going to change out of this. It's just a nice way to share ideas, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, no, I hadn't, I hadn't heard that. Uh, I guess it must be something that happens more often than just this time. But when, mm. like say, when Huawei is involved, we always like to speculate. Yeah. I don't think they're going to get so actually, any, out of any it press release with Huawei and 5G in the same <laughs> sentence makes you go, oh, is there something Ooh. there? But um, <laughs> probably not. Okay, actual phones. Uh, a little oddity the Techno Phantom X2 Pro uh, was launched along with the Phantom X2. These are mostly interesting for the Pro just because it has this one really fun bit of camera tech, which it has what I believe is the first retractable portrait lens in a phone. So what this is, is it is a portrait lens in the way that, say, Vivo uses that term. It's a, this in this case, it's a two and a half times zoom telephoto, so a short telephoto lens. Um, but it is retractable. It physically moves in and out of the phone body. The point of that, apparently, is just to save space. It allows them to have the tech of the telephoto without making the whole phone and the whole camera module thicker because it can right. extend yeah. when it 
gets activated Ooh. and needs to be used while keeping the whole thing a bit thinner. Um, it's also incredibly fast. It's an aperture of f1.5, which for a two and a half time zoom yeah, is good. pretty wild. <laughs> Normally, if you look at competitors, that kind of lens will be at 2.2, 2.4 yeah. aperture. So the 1.5 is kind of fast for a main camera. It's incredibly fast for a, any sort of telephoto like this, which is interesting in and of its own right. Um, that combined with the design also means I've seen some you know sample shots from people who've been reviewing it. It gets a really nice natural bokeh effect, which I think is why they've gone for this, uh, which again, given it's designed to be a portrait camera, mm -hmm. means you're not actually having to use that artificial portrait mode to get that, that bokeh that you're looking for on a portrait the camera does, to a certain extent, genuinely produce real bokeh by itself. I love that idea. Cool. That's such a good idea. But I, I, I'm yeah. just worried it's going to go in the same way that the pop-up selfie cameras went, where they came, people got worried about how durable they are, and then they quickly disappeared again. Yeah, people get nervous about moving parts. I mean, this isn't like that where it's a whole bit extending out of the phone. It is just no. one of the lenses moves a few millimeters out on the back. <laughs> so I, I think it will make people a bit less nervous than, than some of that stuff. It's, it's more like the way the lenses just adjust themselves slightly on a, on a sort of reg, a regular camera. Um, but yeah, cool. I, I don't know if anyone else will ever take this up and, and, and move it, but maybe this is another hint at the way we're going to see cameras going down the line. Um, what else? By the time you watch or listen to this, Motorola will have announced the X40 in China, uh, the phone slash phones that will eventually become the Edge 40 line in the West. Um, I say by the time you listen to this because it hasn't happened yet. We're pre-recording this and we haven't been briefed ahead of time on what's being announced. So I don't know. Go Google it, I guess. It's out there now. Um, <laughs> they've announced some phones. They're there. If you want to know what's going on, you can find out. But I've got absolutely no idea. Uh, I know there's two phones based on the teasers we've had. And I know Motorola keeps lighting them to an SUV. I don't understand what that's about. Mm. I would love to find out. So, you know, feel free to let us know what on earth the comparison is. To and an does SUV? it make any sense? Yeah, to an SUV, to the car. They had a little uh, poster that showed like a reflection of a, a car and the phone. Um, oh, man. I, yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess that means it's going to have a decent IP rating, but that's not really anything new. Um, um, don't know. Four wheel drive, four cameras. Yeah. Maybe it's just going to be absolutely enormous, <laughs> and they're just trying to cover for that. Just a huge brick Maybe of a phone. It's an absolute tank. Yeah, I hadn't seen. I hadn't seen that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was disgusted at the chat of Motorola. He just had to leave. Had to step away. <laughs> <laughs> unspeakable SUV phones uh, yeah so that will be out there by now I'm sorry we don't know about it we can't talk about it but um, yeah Motorola X40 is out there uh, what else we've got another launch before the end of the year I really thought we might be done but Nubia has confirmed mm. it will be launching the Z or Z50 series on December 19th this will be another Chinese launch uh, we don't know a lot about it they're teasing up the camera um, teasing it in a slightly oddly phrased poster that suggests it will have camera tech that has the same effect as having a one-inch camera sensor, which sounds like a way of saying we do not have a one-inch camera sensor, but we promise it's still quite good. Please, please believe us. Uh, so who knows? That will come out sometime while we're off for Christmas. But yeah, December 19th, the Nubia Z58 series will appear. And then we also know a little bit about what we've got coming for us in the first week of January. Weirdly, this is not a CES announcement, but we know that the Redmi Note 12 Pro Plus, 
maybe other phones in that series, but certainly the Note 12 Pro Plus will be launching in India on January the 5th. Uh, it's actually a little later than I expected because they've been teasing this launch for a week or two on the uh, Redmi India social channels. So I just assumed that meant a December launch was coming. But it turns out they were just mm. teasing a full month ahead of their planned January announcement, which, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the Redmi Note series is always one of the, you know, the top tier of the Redmi stuff. And it was one of those lines where they'll just start and then they'll hurl out a, an unending torrent of phones. So this is only the beginning. Um, these have launched in, in China already, it's worth saying. But yeah, this is the beginning of the global rollout. Cool. I guess we should talk about Xiaomi. Usually the biggest phone launch in December, basically. They've made a habit of getting out there for either December or very early January to unveil their flagship for the next year. It gets that December launch in China, and then the rest of us have to wait a little while to get it. Um, this year, the launch was a bit delayed. You may remember it was meant to launch, I think, on December 1st was when they'd originally planned it, and then that got pushed back. So instead, it launched last Sunday. I don't know why it was a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm aware that sort of, you know, the the Chinese cultural perceptions around a Sunday may be slightly different to the West, and there's not exactly a religious element, not that there is really in the West anymore, but still, a Sunday is a weird day for a phone launch. Uh, by any measure it is the weekend uh, but there we go we got the Xiaomi 13 and 13 Pro this Sunday um, two phones we're obviously still waiting on the Ultra that always comes about six months later so no surprise that we haven't seen that one yet that will be way down the line um, we also haven't yet seen any lights or other models like that but this line will inevitably get expanded a bit as we go two phones um, I guess the the highlights the top level things you might want to know about these are one both of them use the new Snapdragon 8 Gen 2, that new Qualcomm chip. So they both got that latest chipset. No MediaTek, just Qualcomm for now. Um, both of them have pretty decently improved camera setups, and especially the Pro there has had a big improvement to its camera setup. And third, they both had tweaked designs. They both look different to the 12 series. Arguably, just as importantly, they look quite different to one another because we've now had this, this jump where, like last year, there are different sizes. But new to this year is the fact that the smaller model, the regular 13, now has straight edges and a flat screen in a way that's a little reminiscent of a certain phone series made in California. So let's start with the chip, I guess, HN2. Um, not the first HN2 phone to, uh, to roll out. We've seen a few. Vivo got there first, and we're now beginning to see the spread of these. Um, no big surprise. Xiaomi has always gone big on the latest Qualcomm flagship ships. Um, I guess there was maybe some thought they might also throw in a MediaTek version or something like that, as we're beginning to see happen. But no, no massive shock to see just the HN2 thrown into both of these. That was always the likeliest outcome. Um, Henry, you've actually had the chance to play around with an HN2 phone already. Is that right? Here it is. Video viewers. They did not send me the one with the BMW stripes on it. So this is the IQ, um, to be clear. He's holding the IQ, up the IQ not, not the Xiaomi. No, no, I do not have that. Yeah, the IQ 11. Uh, and if you were listening to our last episode, I sort of put my uh, foot forward and said that IQ was the most improved brand of the year, uh, at least in terms of getting um, decent phones out there. Uh, several price points this is more of the high-end one and as dom said it's got the 8 gen 2 in it and so i'm reviewing it currently um it's snappy 
um, probably why they call it Snapdragon. And yeah, we did some benchmarks and as you would expect, um, it's pretty much, just got my big nerdy spreadsheet in front of me here. It's hitting the same Geekbench multi-core score as the iPhone 14, not the Pro. So mm -hmm. it's as good as an A15 uh, for compute, which is pretty good and rare to see um, in, when we compare these numbers, which, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Arbitrary numbers sometimes don't uh, uh, necessarily reflect daily use, but it's a snappy phone. And then what we can't compare to an iPhone is the GFX uh, bench uh, benchmarks, which do the frame rate and the GPU. But here, um, and that is because um, the iPhone's one uh, on iOS tops out at 60 frames per second, so you can never tell how fast it's actually doing things. But the IQ 11 here, it is very annoying. We presume it's much better than that. Um, maybe it's because on the iPhone 14, there's no high refresh rate display. Come on, Apple. And then on the IQ 11, we see basically it nearly got 120 frames per second in every test, which is far and away the best score we've seen there. And this is also a phone, phone with 144 uh, hertz screen as well, which probably helps. Uh, I cannot tell the difference between that and a 120 hertz screen. <laughs> uh, but suffice yeah. to say, um, the most annoying thing about this phone currently, not to go on too much of a tangent, is the insane amount of bloatware on here. Uh, but apart from that, um, yes, promising uh, and promising to see it in a phone like the Xiaomi 13 soon as well. Yeah. One thing that's also like noteworthy is I, I benchmarked the Edge N2 when I was at the launch of the chip. And that was obviously testing it in Qualcomm's reference design hardware rather than mm. in, in anything made by a manufacturer, by an OEM. I actually saw even better benchmark scores when I tested it on, on Qualcomm's hardware. Yeah. So that does still suggest as good as the scores we've seen on this iQoo are, there may still be room for improvement. And as people optimize yeah. a bit better and build hardware designed around this <laughs> chip and, and optimize the, sort of the firmware and the software side, this may still be room for it to get even better than we're already seeing. Um, so obviously this is just the very first wave of hardware running it. So yeah, good early signs for the HN2, which obviously then carries a lot of promise for these two Xiaomi phones that will be running it. Um, one interesting note for real spec heads as we look at these phones is that Xiaomi is offering both the 13 and the 13 Pro <clears throat> with your choice of 128, 256, or 512 gigs of storage. Um, in China, at least, a global launch probably will end up being a bit less a bit less of a spread. But those are the options for both models there. What's maybe interesting is that if you get the lowest storage version, the 128, uh, which comes with 8 gig of RAM, then it uses UFS 3.1 storage. But as soon as you bump up to 256 or 512, you get the new UFS 4.0 standard storage which is supported by the HN2 and, and the new Dimensity chip as well, to be fair. Um, so if you are obsessive enough that you really want to make sure you have the absolute latest standard in every little bit of silicon inside the phone, uh, this is now maybe something you're going to have to start looking out for because what we saw before was the moment the chip started supporting UFS 3.1, everyone just threw it in and it became the default to use that. Uh, it looks like we maybe won't see that sudden a jump to 4.0 or at least not as completely widespread and, and ubiquitous and you may have to start picking and choosing i really don't think anyone will normally ever see any possible performance difference between these two like hard drive speeds no. but technically there is there is a difference there and if if you're worried about that it's now something you're going to have to start looking out for as you go uh worth saying i think these all use the newer ram standard though lpddr5x i think whatever version you get 
it comes with that RAM. Um, okay, let's talk about the design then, because that's one of the other things that's changed a lot here. And there's a few trash. elements. Looks to trash. This. <laughs> My hot take is it's trash. Really? <laughs> Looks yeah. rubbish. <laughs> yeah. I this is doing absolutely nothing for me whatsoever. I think this is so boring in terms of design. Apologies if you're about to say that it was great. I'm semi-inclined <laughs> to agree. So what we've yeah. got, there's a few changes to go, go to sort of take in. One is we've got sort of a new color palette, very muted finishes on the main line of phones, uh, white, black, kind of light green, light blue. Uh, there are some punchier colors we'll get to, but that's kind of the main line. Two, we've got this thing where the regular Xiaomi 13 is now squared off like an iPhone, whereas the 13 Pro still looks broadly similar to the previous Xiaomi flagships in terms of that Curved display, curved edges, basically the chassis is about what you'd expect. Um, and then we've also got this new camera module, which is a kind of rounded square split up into three quadrants where three of the quadrants have a camera lens in and the fourth just has the Leica logo and, and the flash and other bits. Uh, I don't love the camera. Is that the bit that bothers you, Henry? Or is it sort of everything yeah, taken as I a whole? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think, I think it adds to the, the effect as a whole. I know that... Companies are going to find it difficult if they want to change the design every year. I know that Apple gets away with not doing that, so other companies maybe want to differentiate by doing something slightly different. But I think it probably just is how those cameras look on the back of quite a plain-looking phone. It kind of looking at, looking at that 13, the, the regular one there. To me, that just looks like an LG G6 with a different mm -hmm. camera on the back. <laughs> you know, like not 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 that inventive. And I know phones are just screens with cameras now. But I don't know. It wasn't doing anything for me when I first saw them. I was quite surprised. I have to say, I think they're hurt by the choice to go for the squared edges because I do think the Pro looks better. It's subtle. I just think something about the curved body does make it suit the rest of the design they've gone for a little bit. Maybe just the combination of the square camera and the squared edges makes the whole thing look very boxy on the regular model. Um, it just looks a little bit like, yeah, the module, the way they've done that with the split up cameras, um, so they sort of fade into the black. It just kind of looks like it, it was made, like a kit that you put together. <laughs> like you <laughs> slot in all the modules, you know. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's fine. It's just too big because the cameras are fairly small in these fairly large squares. So it's just yeah. like, it just looks like it could, the whole thing could be more compact if they just didn't go and do that. <laughs> and the thing is, I'm sure that's not true. It will be the size it needs to be. But yeah, I agree. A lot of people will look at it and think there's all this wasted space. It, it's an odd choice because it looks like, although the camera module itself is still very prominent, it does look like they've really tried to downplay the lenses and downplay the size of the cameras. Whereas, say, on previous models, Certainly, if you say, look at the Xiaomi 12S Ultra as the other extreme end, but even last year's 12 line, they kind of highlighted how big the main camera was. And they wanted to make that main lens look big with then two small additional lenses with it. It really feels mm. like on some level they've decided to do the opposite here. And what they want to do is downplay the lenses, downplay the camera, try and make it look subtler and sleeker in a way that I just I don't quite think they've nailed. Okay. I just, and also, I hate the iPhone 13 look on on the Xiaomi 13 because it just. I feel like when you're paying a lot of money for a phone, you shouldn't feel like you're getting a knockoff. And it, to me, it just looks like a knockoff iPhone. Like even in the yeah. marketing images, like the the blue uh, finish is the exact same as as the iPhone 13 Pro. Uh, like it's the exact same hue. Um, and yeah, it's just it's not doing anything for me personally. <laughs> it is a funny one because I I was never a fan of the move. To, to the squared edges and it always felt very backwards to me but it made some sense for apple because it's in part not entirely but in part a nostalgia play for them right 
it was always purposefully playing back to an older design language they'd had that people were very fond of. That's not. There's none of that there for this here. There's not. There's no nostalgia play being made by Xiaomi here. There's no nod to classic Xiaomi design. It's just them saying, "Oh, Apple does this, so I guess we'll do it too." Yeah, literally. Yeah. Plus, it runs MIUI, which is also uh, that's its own problem. <laughs> um, I do think I I think the more colourful versions help this a little bit, and I quite like those. So there are these sort of muted finishes that are coming out as the regular versions. They're pretty similar across the 13 and 30 Pro, the black and white, light blue, light, blue, light green. They're on glass for the regular ones and ceramic for the Pro, which is at least a nice touch, um, but then a leather finish if you get the light blue one. But on the regular 13, oh, yeah. they're also doing this limited edition set of four really bright finishes, which I think are limited edition China only, but we'll probably never see them anywhere else, which is a shame. And they're really punchy uh, red, blue, green, and yellow, I think. So four different finishes, each just that whole color. These work for me a bit more because, I don't know, there's just something, they stand out a bit. They do look a bit different. And suddenly they're really vibrant. They really pop. They've gone all out to make this as, as sort of eye-catching as you can do. There's no subtlety to them at all. And they definitely won't be for everyone. I'm sure a lot of people will, will never want a phone that's that bright. But man, at least you look at it and say, oh, cool, you're doing something different. Like that's, that's its own thing. I love that vibrant green color. There's something that yeah. speaks to me about that green is really nice. Um, but yeah, I completely agree that these just make more of a statement than the kind of muted pastel finish of the standard ones. Yeah. Um, it's a shame that probably won't be able to get them here. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm confident those will never leave China, but we'll see. Maybe I'll be surprised. Um, okay, so what else do we want to talk about? The regular 13, one nice thing is we st do still have the size difference here. So you've still got the fact that the regular 13 is a smaller phone which I do want to sort of praise Xiaomi a little bit for sticking to their guns there. I don't know whether we'll see that again next year or not. I don't know sales-wise how much that's worked for them and obviously all that landscape of small phones. Um, it's not small-small. It's not Zenfone 9 small or iPhone SE small, uh, but it's a 6.36-inch panel. That is actually a little bigger than last year's one, so they have crept back up very slightly. I think last year was a 6.2-something, so that's a little worrying. But they are sticking with that since you have a, a size choice here. Um, and it is nice to see a high-end Android phone that is at a more manageable screen size. I think what would have been the standard size four or five years ago now counts as small, if not quite, you know, yeah. tiny, tiny, small. Um, but that's welcome. Both got OLED displays, both 120 hertz. You only get LTPO if you go for the Pro. And the Pro is also a bit higher resolution because it's bigger and it's curved. And, um, so definitely a display upgrade for the Pro, even even setting the size aside because you get the LTPO and the higher resolution. Um, charging is an interesting one because they haven't really gone all out here, at least not in a, the Xiaomi way where often they feel like they're just throwing everything out and charging and having to set records. So 67 watt charging on the regular model, 120 watt on the Pro. Both got the same 50-watt wireless, though I've never met anyone who cares about that. It's a high-speed wireless, that is. Um, and 4,500 milliamp-hour battery on the regular one, 4,820 or something on the Pro. It's a little bigger, probably similar. And definitely feels like Xiaomi's just, I don't want to say resting on its laurels because it sounds a bit lazy, but it feels like they've hit a plateau where they said, okay, our, our charging for this level of phone is, is good enough. We don't. This isn't where they're now trying to throw out 200 watts or, or anything mad like that which I think is kind of welcome. I appreciate it. Because I always wonder, like, how good is the efficiency of these crazy high-wise chargers? Like, because obviously you're using a lot of power. 
at home to get to deliver this you know the charge so i'm just wondering if it's you know worth it to go to these 200 watts 250 watts when you know 60 watts 67 watts like this is absolutely fine it will charge your phone in like half an hour like anything beyond that is just and yeah then you have to worry about obviously the battery degradation and everything that comes with that as well and definitely uh diminishing returns um but so where they have put their effort is cameras so i guess that's the next thing to talk about um we'll start with the regular model which is maybe a bit less exciting so 50 megapixel main camera with ois and then 10 megapixel telephoto, 12 megapixel ultrawide, and a 32 meg selfie. The highlight here is probably the telephoto, because what we're getting here is an actual real telephoto lens that we didn't get on last year's Xiaomi 12. Um, F2.0, three times telephoto with OIS. Not going to be the best telephoto camera in the world, not a periscope, anything like that. But still, now that regular model flagship has what looks on paper to be probably a decent telephoto camera. And so you are now getting that well-rounded triple rear camera setup that you might want or expect of main ultra-wide telephoto, all of which sound like they're going to be solid. So I don't think you've got a big obvious compromise here in terms of versatility anymore, which maybe was part of what you got last year. Um, but the Pro is really the exciting one here because they have stuck with the same model they did last year of a triple 50 meg setup. Um, again, it is main ultra-wide telephoto. All of them are 50 megapixel. The ultra-wide, I think, is the exact same as last year. So nothing too exciting to report there. Um, the telephoto has had an upgrade. It's a three-time zoom. I think it was two times last year, though I might be wrong. Um, it's a three-time zoom, aperture 2.0. Um, and it has this... I don't really know the details of how this works, but it has what they're describing as a floating lens structure which makes it capable of focusing on very close-up objects as well as focusing at a distance. So they say you can use it to focus on stuff that's only 10 centimeters away, So, which not all telephotos are good at. So this means you can yeah. use it for zoomed-in photos of close things to pick out details just as much as you can use it for picking out stuff at a distance. So that's a nice jump. Um, obviously it's, it's not sort of the, the extreme end of that, like that Oppo microscopic camera or anything like that, but it sounds like a slightly more versatile best, telephoto. Best cam ever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I loved it. Uh, would I ever tell anyone <laughs> to buy the phone for that camera? <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh yeah. No, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> but the, the big jump here is definitely the main camera where they have, Xiaomi has thrown in the same IMX 989 one-inch sensor that we saw in the 12S Ultra, that we've seen in one of the new Vivos, that we know we're going to see in quite a few phones going forward. But this is an important jump because it's gone from the camera of the ludicrous expensive, only available in China Ultra model to now just being the main camera in their top tier phone for this year that will probably eventually get a global release. And I mean, it was a fantastic camera in the 12s ultra that, that, that camera system had a lot of other bits going for it but um yeah that main lens really blew me away that was one of the cameras that um i certainly loved last year and that made me sort of feel like it was doing something a little different uh, huge sensor gave it a very natural bokeh effect like we were talking earlier with that portrait lens from techno but you got quite a natural bokeh from the, the big sensor and the big lens and i, I don't always love xiaomi's processing and color tuning and i think that was always the only thing that like, let me down a bit and i feel like we're going to see the same here but certainly from a hardware level it was clear that there's something really special about this sensor and that it feels like a very meaningful jump from from the flagship sensors we've had before 
how big a deal do you guys think it is that we're now seeing that only a few months later get down into kind of an affordable tier of flagship phone i'm here for trickle down tech that's my my thing that i'm because you know it's, it's always really exciting to see it in the crazy high-end stuff but i think when it really makes a difference is when it starts trickling down to something a little bit more affordable like it's just it, yeah it's fun to see the bleeding edge and then it's even more fun to get it at an affordable price yeah yeah i mean for to see that um so quickly is is impressive but i suppose it was to be expected and it's probably like you say what we're going to see more of this year it'll be interesting to see maybe um uh Preempting our, our prediction section a little bit, but um, interesting to see which manufacturers decide that the one-inch sensor is the next key thing to differentiate cameras, and how do you differentiate if everyone's doing the same thing? But yeah, yep. uh, yeah, interesting to see probably this one first, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the timing is obviously always a bit up in the air with this stuff. So the phones are been announced in China. I'm they're either out now or will be out. I think they're actually out officially tomorrow. I think tomorrow is the on-sale date in China. Um, I say that as we record early. By the time you listen to this, they will be out now in China. So there we go. Uh, so out now in China, who knows about a global release? Xiaomi does tend to launch these core phones internationally. We got the 12 and the 12 Pro. They both came out worldwide. Obviously, the US, North America accepted. Um, we don't know when. I think February is a pretty good ballpark to have in mind. Last year, I believe the 12 series came out not at, but kind of near MWC, which is at the end of February. I would expect we're looking at something similar this time around. So a two-month wait for the uh, the global release. And probably, yeah, this will be one of the first, um, among the first HN2 phones to get that Western release. And yeah, potentially the first IMX989 phone to get the Western release, because I, I guess we haven't actually had any phones using that image sensor that have officially come out in, in Europe or even maybe outside China. What's your um, overall, how are you feeling about these two? Uh, personally, nonplussed. I'd never really vibed with Xiaomi as a brand. It's just one of those things. It's not just this brand. We all have our favorites, unfortunately, so I'm not judging it because I haven't used it. Um, but for me, this isn't something I'm particularly excited about. And just in terms mm -hmm. of when you differentiate this level, when you've all got the same hardware at, at the end of the day, um, it's down to the software. And I, I just don't like MIUI that much. Um, but yeah, I'm looking, I, I, I'd be cool to test out that camera. That does look um, really cool and genuinely something that would be better um, than last year's model. Uh, but uh, for me at the moment, yeah, not doing too much for me. <laughs> I'm afraid. I think I'd have to agree, really. Like I'm, I'm, I'm loving the hardware, like I'm loving the camera upgrades, especially, but yeah, it does come down to the software at the end of the day, and, and MIUI just is not strong. And there's, I, I don't know what the commitments are for this phone in particular, but I'm always worried about long-term support with them as well. Um, I know they are trying mm. to get a little bit better with that, but you know, Xiaomi traditionally has been a kind of one-and-done brand, so it's going to take a little bit of work from them to yeah, get them yeah. to kind of unlearn that um, mm -hmm. behavior. I think they do a three-year flagship update promise but I'm not 100% on that, so I, I might be talking absolutely rubbish. I think they do three years now. Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree. My feelings are a bit split. One, I think one downside here is Xiaomi's announcement structure now, where you get the Ultra six months on this kind of half-year step. And that's cool when the Ultra gets to come out on its own and be this all-singing, all-dancing, incredible experience. <laughs> 
the trade-off of that is that this is a kind of trickle-down launch. What we're seeing in the Pro, the 13 Pro, is a lot of the stuff we saw in the 12s Ultra, and in a way, it's harder to be excited because we saw all this stuff six months ago. We're just now seeing it in a slightly cheaper phone that's likely to launch elsewhere. But nothing here is brand new, totally jaw-dropping and exciting, which is a bit of a shame for you know what is their flagship announcement. Um, and then my other hesitance really comes down to the the smaller model, the 13, because it was the 12 I reviewed last year and did really enjoy it and thought I, I, it, the software was the big headache for me and that's why I didn't keep using it. But I enjoyed having a good, powerful, well-kitted out Android flagship in that sort of size. Uh, that was before the Zenfone 9 launched as well. So it really felt like this was the only one of that kind of thing around. Um I don't love bits of the design here. I really am not a fan of going to the squared off edges for the reasons we've talked about earlier. So I feel that little bit less enthusiastic about the 13 compared to how I remember feeling about the 12 last year where I liked that move to that size. But um, still, excited to get hands on these, actually see how they perform once we get them. They they do look good. There's just that kind of, like you say, that general Xiaomi as a brand don't always 100%, you know. I don't fall in love with Xiaomi phones as often as I fall in love with other ones. So let's move on to a couple of phones I think we may fall a little bit more in love with uh, based on track record. Oppo has surprised absolutely no one by announcing a pair of foldable phones, the Oppo Find N2 and the Oppo Find N2 Flip. Um, top level, the Find N2 is the follow-up to the Find N. It looks a lot like the Find N. It's a book-style foldable. It's that big form factor. It's a little bit lighter. It's a little bit thinner. It's had some spec bumps, that kind of thing. There are some tweaks. We'll go through it, but it is the second gen of that product. The Flip is, as you might guess, a flip version, a clamshell phone, a Z Flip 4 Motorola Razr rival, Oppo's first, though actually they said they've been prototyping this for about three years already. Um, and this is their attempt to take on that smaller form factor. And... I think what's interesting, as we'll get to, is it already sounds a little bit, from talking to Oppo, like they're more bullish about the Flip than they are about the regular Find N2. And it feels like they're already seeing that trend in the marketplace we've seen with Samsung sales, that they're kind of looking and saying, oh, maybe the Flip's where we're really meant to be. And that's that's the interesting mm -hmm. space. So just before we get to that, I should say these announcements came from Oppo's InnoDay event um, in China, where they kind of, it's actually two days, despite the name, um, something they've learned from Prime Day, I guess. It is when they unveil their kind of exciting bits of tech looking forward. Um, we've got these two phones. They did also, in the first day of InnoDay, announce a couple other bits. One is a health tracker that's not very exciting. The other is the Mary Silicon Y. Um, if you are a fan of the Mary Silicon X image processor, please be aware this is less exciting than that. This is a Bluetooth audio system on chip. It is a chip for headphones and speakers and bits like that. Um, it supports kind of, you know, lossless and high resolution audio and things like that. And I think there are some technical specs there that will impress people. Uh, there's not a lot it looks to be doing that's radically different from the top end of what Qualcomm offers in this kind of space. And I certainly think from a phone perspective, people are going to be less excited about this chip, which again is a chip for the audio products, it's four headphones, it's four speakers. This is not a chip that goes in your phone. Uh, that's less exciting than the Mary Silicon X as that phone image processor was. I know that gets a lot of love. This is a slightly different thing. Um, okay, so let's talk about the actual phones. 
I think we should start with a flip, right? That's the one that's new. That's the one that's in a way more exciting. So this is a bit like the Z Flip 4. Obviously, there's there's clear kind of learning from there. I think from a design perspective, the big change is the cover display, where there's two things here. One, it's bigger. It's a 3.26 inch cover display, um, which is compared to, I think the Samsung one is 1.9 inch at the moment. So it's a comfortably bigger screen, but it's also in a different layout. It's now portrait rather than landscape. So it's the same orientation that your regular phone screen is. I have mixed feelings about this. I think I have mixed feelings about this in the same way I have mixed feelings about all the talk about Samsung going for a bigger cover display. I think there are some obvious practical benefits. More screen space gives you more room to just do stuff with that screen. Uh, it gives you, yeah, it, yeah. As as we saw Motorola do with the Razer, they moved to a slightly larger one. This is even larger than that. Um, more space lets you do that. Especially useful for that camera viewfinder use case that they all love to show off in ads, where you use that little screen to to see what your camera is going to take. And I think part of Oppo's point is that the portrait orientation makes more sense for that, because that's how your phone generally takes its photos. That's how we're used to engaging with a phone viewfinder is the portrait orientation. That all makes sense. I've got to say, it doesn't look as nice. Just from a design perspective, I think there's a, a cleanness to the Z Flip design language Samsung has. And this is a little bit like the way I see the, the Razer design as well, which is we've just tried to cram the lenses and the screen onto the back of the phone and made them both as big as we can and used all the space. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm conflicted by that. Cause I've, obviously I've been using the razor for the last few days and I really like the fact that there is a bigger cover display on it, but there is limitations to what it can do in its aspect ratio. Um, but then I can't imagine that having a different aspect ratio is going to make me want to use that tiny, tiny three inch display. Um, any more than I would be using this one because all all this really is for is just checking your notifications or quickly accessing the camera. Uh, I can't imagine anyone's going to be scrolling through Twitter on a tiny, tiny display but like exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and to be fair, Oppo's not suggesting that they are. No. The pitch is not. Oh, it's like your phone screen. You can use your phone on this tiny, tiny three-inch display on the outside. <laughs> you are not meant to scroll through Twitter on this uh, this little display. Uh, but yeah, I know what you mean. I find this funny because I remember I had a brief a meeting with um, some Samsung execs at, at IFA, I think it was, mm -hmm. where we were chatting about the design history of the fold and the flip and that line and everything. And one of the things they really talked about with some pride was that an, an unexpected impact of the flip's design was that flip owners used their phone less than other phone owners. Yeah. And that this was a good thing that people reported that they liked the, this fact about it, that it was a way that the, the fact that it closed, the fact that the cover screen let them just check things quickly and go, no, I don't care, encouraged them to actually open their phone less, use their phone less. And that this was this pleasant surprise, not really Samsung's plan, but they, they were actually talking it up as this is a really good thing we've done. I'm a bit hesitant. This movement to make those screens bigger is going to move slowly away from that and move more and more towards, <laughs> here's all the things you can do. Here's all the ways you can use your phone again while it's closed. Yeah. And I similarly like the fact that when I'm using a flip, I often leave it closed, don't open it for a while. And when notifications come in, you can just check and be like, no, I don't care. I can ignore yeah. that. Uh, or, or engage in a very quick way 
without having to open the phone to engage with them properly. I must admit, I've been finding the exact same thing with the Razer for the past few days, because this is the first time I've had, I've had the clamshell kind of mm. foldable. I'm usually the, a book foldable kind of guy. Um, so it's been a whole new experience for me. And yeah, like you say, like I, I find myself checking it less because there's that extra interaction of you having to open the phone to then go on Twitter or whatever. And then I look at the phone sometimes, I'm like, oh, I can't be bothered. Even though, it's, I mean, it's just a quick opening but it's, it's something psychological about it. it's like an extra barrier like do you really want to do this or are you just doing it out of habit and it's really making me notice how often it's just out of habit that i reach for my phone and not because i need to do something on it or anything like that so uh yep. yeah, that's really interesting all right so let's turn to the inside screen the folding one so you're getting a 6.8 inch display on the inside which is similar-ish to what you get with the, <clears throat> the Samsung. That's a 6.7 inch, so no radical change here. It's about the same size kind of phone. Um, it's a 120 hertz AMOLED display, as you'd expect, 21 by 9 aspect ratio, so pretty standard. The hinge is maybe the interesting bit. This is using the same hinge that we're going to see in the Find N2. Um, it's what Oppo is calling its second-gen flexion hinge. The big improvement they've basically made well, they, generally they say it's smaller and stronger and all that good stuff but they also say the crease is even less visible and I think it's fair to say Lewis you always thought the crease on the Find N2 uh, sorry on the original Find N was pretty hard to spot right yeah that was um, I mean even now after using the Z Fold 4 it's still the better one on that book style foldable that I've seen so yep. to, to hear that it's even you know, less visible is, is pretty damn impressive. <laughs> so speaking about the Find N2, they said the crease is now 67% thinner, i.e. shallower. So okay. less noticeable, less visible, A, less visible, B, less noticeable when you're, you're swiping across it. Mm -hmm. um, this is the same hinge that's on the flip. I'm not sure if there's any difference in how visible they are, how, you know, because it's different sizes, I imagine that might have some impact on, yeah. on the exact way it comes out. Um, but yeah, they're really talking about the fact that you cannot see this hinge. I have to say, I haven't seen this phone in person. I've had a Zoom briefing. So I've seen Oppo's carefully manicured photos where they make it very <laughs> difficult to see the hinge uh, and the crease. I, I don't know. Maybe it's really obvious when you see I it mean, in person. I mean, I feel like the fact that they're talking up so much must mean there's something to it because a lot of the others, are, they don't really go that in on the fact that you can't see the hinge. They just kind of like, there's a hinge. It's yeah, there. It, it folds. <laughs> Samsung don't talk about the visibility of the crease yeah. for the moment. You know, <laughs> uh, They know it's not where they're winning. So yeah, th this is encouraging just because as you've said, I think Oppo were very good on that before and they're claiming this is one step better. Um, they also said it's, Again, of the Find N2 of the bigger one, they said mm -hmm. it's rated for over 400,000 folds. I don't know if that's true for the flip as well. It is the same hinge, so you would presume it's similar numbers. Um, that Isn't is that years of use, in that's, theory. That's double what Samsung says for the Z Fit Floor. I think it's 200,000. 200,000, yeah. yeah. Um, so in theory, that's a lot better. I still take all of these figures with a pinch of salt. Of course. Just, yeah, I don't know how much you can really, you know, the Samsung numbers are rated for like years of use and we've seen mm -hmm. people who have them break in less than 12 months. So this this means nothing really, but they claim <laughs> it's very good at this stuff. Yeah. Um, 4,300 milliamp hour battery. So that's a little bit bigger than the Z Flip 4, which is 3,700. 44 watt charging, which is welcome because you don't have very fast charging on the Samsung. I no wireless charging though, which for me is one of the little downsides here. I like wireless charging, especially I think at this level at this price. I mean, I say price, I don't know the price, but I can guess the, ball, gonna be you know, expensive. the ballpark. It's, it's not going to be a cheap <laughs> phone. 
I think wireless charging is kind of expected. I think actually it suits the flip form factor, especially because they're the exact same size as your wireless charger. Yeah. It feels very natural putting a little folded flip phone down on your charging pad. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. You don't have to hunt for the spot because you just put it down in the middle and it will and be it's there. there. <laughs> and it's great. So I, that for me is a little bit of a bummer that there's no wireless charging. Chipset is interesting. They've gone for a MediaTek Dimensity 9000 Plus. So um, that is last year's MediaTek flagship, but then the six months on overclocked version. It's the equivalent of the 8 Plus Gen 1. Um, not the, the new MediaTek chip, not the latest gen, not an 8 Gen 2, mm -hmm. but the chip from six months ago-ish. They say this is also a custom version where they work with MediaTek to give it improved power efficiency. So clearly a bit of an emphasis. Yeah. I'll on, say power efficiency would here. be the one thing I'm worried about with, yeah. with not going with the quad because we now know that the, even the 8, 8 Plus Gen 1 has great track record when it comes to improved battery life. So I'd be more comfortable with that yeah. in a foldable. <laughs> if I have a hesitance here, it's that just because it's an unknown element. I, yeah. don't, I don't think I've ever used any 9000 Plus phones, so I don't know where they stand on power efficiency compared to the 8 Plus Gen 1, but that one killed it. I think that was a big part of why the Flip 4 felt like a step up from the Flip yep. 3. And... You look and you just have a little fear of, is it going to be as good or are we going to see this one not deliver that level of battery life? Um, though it is a slightly bigger battery, so that will hopefully even out. And yeah, they talked about power efficiency, so hopefully. Um, and then camera is the last thing. So they, I, I have sort of this strange mix of camera specs here. I know that there's a 32 megapixel selfie camera with autofocus, which is okay. good. Yeah. Um, I know that there's a 50 megapixel main camera using the IMX890 sensor, which Oppo says is the biggest sensor anyone's put in a flip phone yet. Um, and then I know it has an ultra-wide. <laughs> and Oppo didn't tell me anything about that lens. I just know there is an ultra-wide, so I don't know how good that would be. But we're basically seeing the same sort of camera setup we've seen on these other flip phones. Main camera, ultra-wide, selfie camera. Um, yeah, if this main camera is good, that will be another element where on paper this gives it an edge over the flip four that's certainly a higher resolution sensor and it's yeah. a bigger sensor as they say um this is still one of those question marks around the flip four you know they they made a big jump they made that main camera a lot better than the flip three mm -hmm. into that space where for me it became good enough but it's certainly not a market leading camera setup this won't be either at least in terms of the versatility there's no telephoto at all and like i said there's an ultra wide i <laughs> Bet that means it's not a great one. Yeah, it's they didn't be like want to talk it up very much. 8 meg or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but if the main camera is very good and if it's better than what Samsung does on the Flip 4, that's again mm -hmm. another big point in favor of this phone potentially. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a similar thing with the Razer. Like the, the main camera is where it's at. I think, yeah, if, as long as you've got a main camera that can kind of tide you over in most scenarios, it doesn't matter so much about what else comes with it. Because, I mean, for yeah. me personally, I very rarely use an ultra-wide because there's always such a notable drop in quality and, and just mm -hmm. overall the overall look just looks a bit different so i never bother with them so as long as the main is fine then it's all good for me <laughs> and now, interestingly it's oppo that actually tries to um counter that right in their flagship find x yeah. yes. uh, series by doing the same sensor as the ultra wide which probably they're not going to fit in a phone this small which is a bit of a shame but at mm -hmm. least they recognize that uh i suppose that's the thing like if you really into your camera tech you're just not going to get a foldable at this stage. No. Because... Well, no. This is what I was explaining to my friend the other day, was that 
you know foldables are good now like they're, they're all-day devices you know they're a lot more reliable and stuff like that but you still got compromise if you want a foldable phone like they're not going to have the very best battery life they're not going to have the very best cameras but they give you something that's different and a little bit unique so it just depends on what matters more is the experience or the, just the pure hardware on offer and ultimately that will always be the case to some extent because we're clearly all saying as the market and as reviewers that we want foldable pricing to come down to be in line with slab phones. Yeah. Well, if that's going to be the case, if it's going to cost the same as a slab phone flagship, the slab phone will be cheaper to manufacture from a chassis perspective. Mm -hmm. So they'll have budget left to put in faster charging or bigger batteries or better cameras. And that will, you know, we'll always have this trade off unless you want to pay twice as much for your foldables yeah. to get everything that the slab phone does and it folds. Um, it just otherwise yeah. it won't make sense. They're always they either have to cost more but do the same thing, or cost the same and there'll be a compromise somewhere. Yeah, because that hinge costs money. <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly. The other big, maybe big downside about this, certainly when you compare it head to head to the Samsung, I think the, the lack of wireless charging is one. The other one here is there is no IP rating, which isn't scandalous. Samsung are still the only people doing an IP rating for their foldables, mm -hmm. but yeah, that is there. There is no IP rating. Oppo, when asked about this, basically said they still have designed it in the same way as they designed their IP-rated phones. Um, and certainly they were happy to say it'll work fine in the rain. Yeah. But yeah, this is not IP-rated. It's worth saying the Samsung only has IP rating for water anyway, not dust. Um, but there's nothing of that sort here. So if you want that that element of peace of mind, that of a sense that there's a little bit of extra durability, you're not going to get that quite in the same way here. I don't know how much that really matters to most buyers, to be honest. Mm. Um, so we spoke a bit about how Oppo clearly is putting its money behind the flip, in a sense. And that is because this phone, they are willing to commit, is going to come out in Europe. In Q1 2023, in, I believe the phrase was, most countries in Europe. So an international launch, again, US, very unlikely for all the usual reasons for an Oppo phone. I don't know about the rest of the world. I'm sure this will come out in Asian markets as well. I don't know beyond that. But this is getting an international launch. And not to get too ahead of ourselves, because we'll turn to the Find N2 in a second, but that phone, they would not make that promise for. So they've clearly taken the line that in putting out these two foldables, there's one they're willing to push to a global market and one they're not yet. And it's the flip phone that they're saying, okay, yeah, that's you know that's the one where we think we can make money on this yeah. internationally. Mm. What, what do you guys think the difference is there? Is it a question of different levels of competition or does it just come down to flip phones are popular? I mean, I think, because they were talking about a little bit about the software experience not being quite up to scratch for the Western market. And I think that's, um, you know, based on my experience with the Z Fold 4 and stuff like that, that was my big complaint is that even Samsung, after four years of doing these foldables, the software is still, it still needs work and the app support in particular. Uh, mm -hmm. needs work and because there's not a lot of apps that do support that big boxy uh, form factor so i feel like that's probably going to be their biggest thing i mean i don't know what the situation is in china with uh optimization with optimized with apps optimized for that form factor but because there are a lot more foldables in china i've got to believe that there are a lot more apps that do work with it um and i think it's just maybe oppo's just waiting i mean obviously they're still going to polish it for the west but maybe the big thing is they're just waiting for more people to kind of fully adopt it in their apps maybe mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, the flip. Yeah, as you said, the flip is just um, basically the same aspect ratio as a normal phone, so you don't have to do much to the software. Yeah, they're saying that the Z Flip Four is obviously selling 
way more than even Samsung probably thought it would, then they've got to get there quickly. Otherwise, Samsung's going to run away with the market. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, we've said it before, but it's very welcome just to see more people barreling into this space. Um, mm. So very glad that we are getting another flip phone here. Oh, yes. Uh, one note I'll actually make on software while I think about it. Oppo were also asked about software update guarantees because I think even for their other flagships, I don't believe they yet commit to any certain year of updates or, oh, or anything like that. And they weren't willing to commit to anything on these either. Um, that said, they basically said they will have an announcement soon and that they're working on this, um, specifically highlighting their like, long-term overseas software support because there are differences to the software they, they run and the updates they offer for China versus the rest of the market. Um, basically, there was a vague hint of, there'll be an announcement soon and you'll all be happy with it. So <laughs> Oppo clearly thinks Great. it has an announcement coming and, and is was a bit bullish that it was clearly going to say good numbers when it did make its announcement about long-term software support. But it hasn't made that yet. We don't know yet. We obviously don't know things like which phones they'll apply that to. And it's always possible that there you'll be really happy and it still turns out to just be the kind of three years of version updates that now has become the, the norm. A bit more of the norm and, yeah. and isn't that impressive anymore. But we'll see. So no promises there yet, but we all get something. Uh, let's talk about the regular Find Ed 2 as well, because I think there's still obviously a lot of interest in, in the book style stuff. We'll go through yeah. this one a little bit quicker because there's less that's new, new, new. Um, as we said, it's the same hinge that we've seen in the flip, that second gen of their flexion hinge. The overall design here is similar to what we saw in the Find N2. No big transformation aesthetically, no big transformation in terms of aspect ratios or, or anything like that. What's maybe the biggest change is they've managed to make this lighter. And this is really impressive. They say the Find N2 weighs 233 grams. To put that in context, that is 42 grams lighter than last year's Find N. So that's a pretty big job. It, it, also, it is also lighter than some slab phones. Uh, they inevitably picked out the iPhone 14 Pro Max as the comparison that point. Chunky boy. But this is lighter <laughs> than a 14 Pro Max. And I'm sure if you went and picked out the 12S Ultra and some other big, big phones like that, you can definitely find some more that run above 233 grams. So, yeah, that's good going. For a big yeah. book style foldable to now be at the point where... I mean, I think anything over 200 grams still tends to feel heavy when you pick it up from oh, yeah. a phone perspective. But yeah, that's a big jump. Everything else was kind of in that nearish 300 gram space when it comes to these big foldables. So this is very impressive. I think a big chunk of it was down to they're now incorporating more carbon fiber into the, the layers of the display and things oh, like okay. that. That's part of where they managed to, to save the space. It's still got uh, Gorilla Glass Victus on the front and back. So it's not like they've dropped glass or dropped that glass protection to deliver that. But yeah, they say this is a lot lighter. Um, Chipset-wise, this one is, is the Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1. Nice. I'm not really sure why they've gone for the 8 Plus Gen 1 on this one, but the MediaTek on, on the flip that they have. Again, this is not the 8 Gen 2, though. And if you're following rumors, that won't come as a surprise, but I think there will be some people a little disappointed that for this kind of top-tier phone, they're already half a gen behind on the chipset. <laughs> Uh, but I guess, again, it tells you a little bit about the kind of compromises you end up making on these foldables, exactly. like we were saying, Lewis. Um, <laughs> four and a half thousand milliamp hour battery, 67 watt charging, so pretty standard. Um, camera setup, again, has had some big jumps here. So it's got the same main camera as the Flip, that 50 megapixel um, IMX 890. But we then also now have a 40 megapixel ultra wide, sorry, a 48 megapixel ultra wide 
and a 32 megapixel telephoto. So spec wise, these are sort of a big jump from what we got before where yeah. it was 50, 13 and 16. It's the same kind of setup, but they're a little bit more bullish this year that these are good cameras <laughs> and that this is up there in that flagship space. You know, I, I, I suspect this will be of a similar-ish level to the Find X5 Pro. That said, we're probably seeing the Find X6 Pro in two months, and I'm confident <laughs> that will be better than this. Yeah. So, you know, again, that compromise is still there. This won't be Oppo's best camera um, in a phone, but this does look like, on paper, a big jump up from last year's, um, in line with its other flagships for the moment. And... I mean, yeah, that, that. I don't think you'd ever complain about seeing that kind of camera setup lined up on a phone oh, no. again. We'll have to try it out and see see how it actually performs. But on paper, yeah, that looks that looks great, and that looks like to the extent that this is a compromise, it's only if in that you're a real phone camera nerd, yeah, you're the best of the best of the best. <laughs> this won't be that. The average person who just wants to buy a flagship every year and wants something with a good camera, I this sounds like it ticks that box, yeah. right? Um, and then the only other note is Oppo was was hyping up its software changes. Better split screen, kind of um, a fun thing where it had screenshots, easier screenshots while in split screen so that you can screenshot one half of the display um, with a single gesture action, stuff nice. like that. Um, just a few little details like that. Again, though, they mm. are a bit more cautious than this one. They did specifically, as Lewis said, cite the software as one of the reasons this one's staying in China for now. Um, right. It, it was yeah. for now. For, for now is the exact <laughs> phrasing yeah. they used. So there's no guarantee this won't get a global launch. But I think I would be surprised to see it happen. I think they're just leaving the door open that they might. I, but I don't think it's going to happen. I get frustrated with the, the level of non-commitment to this kind of thing like they know <laughs> yeah. if they're going to release it or not and oh like, yeah for the people I just, that's the thing like most people won't ever know that this phone is out there pretty much if mm -hmm. it doesn't come to the west um and like so i i just think it's odd that they won't say yes or no up front you might i just kind of think back to like a company like apple and they'll be like hey here's our phone uh but you know we might we might release it uh, maybe yeah, maybe <laughs> if we found software's it. not quite software's not quite ready yet i don't know like i'm not saying that apple does everything uh, well at all and i'm not uh, you know um, but it just seems odd to me that you know when people really do want to know about these kind of products they're going to want to know that kind of detail and oh, yeah. not, not quite to know yet it kind of shows that mm. they're they're not sure if it's going to succeed because uh, if they're keeping it in china they could probably just you know home market optimize it there like you say but I still find it interesting that they're just like, yep, flip, we're definitely doing that one. So it's just funny to me that they're for a product launch like that, they can be so certain of one and so uncertain <laughs> of another. Yeah, I, I we rag on Xiaomi every now and then, but I have to give them credit. When they launched the 12S Ultra, they launched that and said, this is not launching internationally. Yeah. And it was a straightforward, this is China only, we will not release it anywhere else. And fair play, I you know I, that is refreshing to hear when a China launch happens and they just say, yeah, by the way, this one's this one's not getting a global launch. We know that. We won't try and hype it up for you. We won't tease you with the possibility that maybe it's going to turn up in four months. Um, we're just like, it's not coming. And I think yeah. that's useful for people to know. Yeah. Especially anyone who is following the market, following the Chinese market. They see these phones and they think, well, I know I want a foldable. Should I wait? What if the Oppo Find N2 does come out? You know, I don't want to buy a Samsung and then the Oppo launches a, a month later. Yeah. It's nice for them to be up front and say, this one is, this one isn't. Um, so I kind of agree that I'd like a little more clarity from them rather than a for now, but I can see why they're keeping their options open. Um, that said, mm. 
this is not coming out internationally i do not wait for it <laughs> sadly <laughs> i think that for now is is very optimistic yeah uh, but the flip we will see um by the time this goes out and you guys are listening to it pricing will also be out there at least pricing for the chinese market i was not told that ahead of time because oppo like to keep that to themselves so again i don't know, go google it if you want to know all i can <laughs> say is that oppo teased me that we would be very happy with the pricing wow. so they clearly think they're hitting a, an affordable spot for the chinese <coughs> market but i don't know what that is and whether they were just talking rubbish <laughs> how excited are we for these lewis you love to find n yes i i'm just excited i love the idea about a thinner hinge and just something that's even less visible because yeah like you were saying like the, the find n the original find n was already one of the most impressive around for that and it still is in my mind um so yeah i'm excited for that but i must admit after using the razor for a few days i might be a clamshell convert in the foldable space mm. yeah because it's just you don't have the headache with the apps like with the with the aspect ratios and stuff like that and that is the big thing for me i know i bang on it about it all the time but it really is the big thing for me in the foldable space um and just the fact that it just everything just works properly um on the foldable on, on the clamshell just makes it that much more appealing um so yeah i might be a convert who knows <laughs> i mean yeah, we all know they look right. have a flip phone so <laughs> Yeah. I'm with you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that no, one makes more sense. I'm excited about these. I think on the uh, the the last episode we did, we talked about our 2022 moments, and I think I said the Find N was the phone I wished I'd reviewed. Yeah. So I, I loved the look of that phone. The little time I got to play with it really, really impressed me, so I'm really excited to see second gen from Oppo, their first attempt at a flip. Mm -hmm. um, you know? I would love someone to to win me around from from Samsung because actually, to be honest, I prefer Oppo's software generally. I prefer ColorOS to One UI. ColorOS so is nice. It's come a long if way. The hardware last hits years. the spot for me. I could be a, I could be a Find N2 flip, flip boy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little bit about next year. Seeing as 2023 is imminent, we are running out of 2022 phone yeah. launches. We've almost done them all, and next year is on the way. So we've got a little. Um, I got some questions for you guys. I'm going to try and rattle through them pretty quickly. Oh, yeah, keep this relatively like quick fire. Um, so you know, for your first instinct on this stuff. Mm -hmm. Looking at companies as a whole in the phone space, who do you think are going to be 2023's biggest winners and losers? That can be market share. That can be coming out with a product everyone absolutely loves. Um, you know, turning things around when they've been on been on a downturn, anything like that. Um, I mean, for me, Motorola is in a strong place right now. Um, I think that they're refocusing on the high-end market is good. The, the Edge uh, products are really nice, and it's combined with their software, which I think is one of the better ones out there for, because it's close to stock while having just a few minor tweaks that genuinely do improve the uh, the experience on offer. So, yeah, just to see them continue on. If they continue on that trend next year, then I think Motorola will be a serious player in like kind of the, mid, uh, the, the, the um, flagship market. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a boring answer, but I think Samsung's going to be another winner next year. And I think it's one thing that I was thinking about was like I'm quite keen to review like if they do the three S series phones again. Quite want to review that middle plus one because mm. people must buy those phones. And in the yeah. tech industry, we get them really early in the year, and then we say they're great. It's like the Android iPhone, and then no one talks about them again <laughs> um, for the rest of the year. But those are the those are the flagship Android phones that um, people must be buying. Uh, and enjoying and I know a, a lot of my friends have those phones um, so I think Samsung quietly wins every year 
Mm -hmm. uh, we just don't necessarily point it out every time. Yep. I also think Samsung's going to have a big year. I think the combination of that and the foldable space, I think yeah. they have been left to the point where they own the global foldable market in yep. a big way. And I think particularly, I don't know about you guys, but I am beginning to see flip ads everywhere I go. Oh, yes. And they feel like they are pushing that in a big, big way. And I think that's going to carry on. I think they've got six months of pushing last year's. And I think the flips and the folds have the advantage that because of the form factor, they don't have that same thing where within four months they're old news and nobody cares anymore. Yeah. Like you, as you say, you kind of get with the S series. I think they can keep yeah. pushing the flip for 12 full months as if it's an exciting brand new thing up until the five comes around and they'll, they'll do it all over again. And yes, Oppo's about to move into that market. Like we said, maybe we'll see another one or two, but they still don't have any other big rivals in that space. And importantly, there's no Apple that does it. So I think they're going to at least have the buzz side of winning that foldable conversation mm. for at least another year. Um, you talked yep. a, bit, a little bit about biggest losers, and I'm going to be a bit controversial and say the biggest losers probably is going to be the flagship market in general because mm -hmm. stuff's getting expensive at the moment, and flagship phones are already obviously expensive, the top of the range. But I just feel that with you know the rise in inflation and all that kind of stuff, we've already seen it from Apple in the UK, and there are rumors that next year's iPhones are going to be even more expensive. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be a bad year for flagships, like affordable flagships, should I say. Um, the tech's going to be great, but... You're going to be paying more than ever for them. Yeah, you kind of nicked my answer there, Lewis. I was going to say it's going to be, ah. it's going to be the lo the loser is going to be the upgrade cycle, which yeah. is kind of the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pe people hold on to their phones for way longer. Uh, people are not inclined to get the new thing anymore because it's getting more expensive, and it is the same as last year. Yeah. I found it quite challenging reviewing uh, high-end phones this year because um, they just uh, don't offer what we have seen within our own careers as, exactly. as, as phone re reviewers, you know, you'd get mm -hmm. you'd go one gen later and be like, this is so much better than last year's and you just don't have that anymore. So I think companies are going to find it difficult to, to stand out. Okay. Uh, we've spoken a bit about foldables, obviously today. We know Oppo is bringing the flip to Europe. Which other companies do we think are going to enter the global foldable market? In 2023 whether that's bringing models they already have out in europe or new players in the foldable space but outside of china i would say the only one that i can conceive doing it and not even on the same level as oppo would be vivo mm -hmm. yeah uh, same holding company um but they already released them in china they got a lot of power and brand power in that country and you know that they, they, they um sponsor the world cup they've got great x80 pro but the x90 pro is going to you know, excite a lot of tech journalists. So I think it'd be whether or not they could convince the the phone buying public. I think that's still the challenge that Oppo will have. <laughs> yeah. if, it, if it puts a flip out, it's like if there's two flips on the table, the general consumer is going to be like, I've heard of Samsung, I'll get that one. Um, mm -hmm. So I think Vivo could do it. Uh, we might see the next X Fold in Europe. But I can't, I don't know, unless I'm, <laughs> unless I don't, unless I've not thought of a one that's blindingly obvious, I can't see any other company doing it. Uh, my answer would be Xiaomi because they've got a not, you know, it's, I'm not going to say it's a budget foldable, um, but they've got a more, you know, attractively priced foldable in China. And I would love to see that kind of similar thing happen in the Western market, just come out, undercut Samsung. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we offer a few compromises in camera or whatever. Um, but yeah, just offer that, that book style foldable in a more affordable price package. I've got to admit, I'm still a bit skeptical about both of those actually doing it 
Um, I might be wrong, but I think they both dragged their feet so long on bringing them internationally <laughs> that yeah. I'm not sure how long it will take now. Um, the cheat answer, because we kind of know it's happening, would be Google, because we're pretty confident there's a Pixel Fold. I completely away. forgot about Google. Um, <laughs> well, we also I, know that Honor's doing it. That's why I didn't say Honor. But. Yeah, I think OnePlus. Yeah. Because yeah. I think, especially given the Oppo news, I wouldn't be shocked to see a parts bin version of one of these two phones come out in the West with a OnePlus logo on it. Not least because that lets them do the US and almost no one else is playing around in the US market. And, you know, yes, Honor and Oppo and maybe Viva, maybe Xiaomi will start doing these globally, but not in the US. No. And OnePlus, you know, we've only got Samsung and Motorola there. We will only have Samsung and Motorola there for a long time unless OnePlus wants to throw its hat in the ring. I mean, wasn't there a rumor they were really they were just going to reskin the uh, original Find N and call that a OnePlus foldable? Yeah, that was rumored for a while. And, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see basically that happen this year. Again, I think they'd probably do what they... they we've seen them parts bin these phones where you get slight tweaks. Yeah. It's not the exact same phone, but one lens has changed here, one chipset is slightly different, the battery's mm-hmm. a bit smaller. I think we'll see that. We'll see some very small variation on this, um, on one of these two, come out as a OnePlus. Okay, um, are we going to get an honest-to-God, someone-can-pay-money-to-get-it rollable phone? <laughs> 2023. No. No. <laughs> yeah. No. I just don't think it's going to be a thing for a while yet. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be a thing full stop, um, but probably not in 2023. <laughs> no, definitely not. I can't see why anyone would throw all their marketing money behind selling rollables just as everyone's trying to figure out how to sell foldables yeah. and they're beginning to take off. <laughs> yeah, let's right. just nail one before we move on to the <laughs> other, please, guys. <laughs> okay. Which popular Android phone feature, can be hardware or software, are we going to see in a new iPhone? <laughs> oh, um, I would say like a proper telephoto, like a 10 times or a 15 times or something like that. That's what I had that. as well. Yeah. Periscope camera. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, periscope camera or under display camera, which they've kind of half done already. Mm, uh, maybe good trying, point. To hide, trying to hide some more of that notch. Maybe not this year, though, but I think they'll try and do that at some point. I would love to see the under display fingerprint scanner, but I think we're past that now for Apple. They're yeah. all in on I Facebook. consider that and I thought, no, I don't yeah. think that's happening at this point. <laughs> uh, also, obviously, USB-C. You don't need, I don't think you need I, it. I don't think that's quite this year. <laughs> yeah, 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 true. Um, okay, to be fair, flip this around. Which iPhone or iOS feature will all the Android OEMs nick? Oh, Dynamic Island, 100%. <laughs> what they should be stealing is uh, the five or six year software promise. That should yes. be what they're stealing. Yep. That novel idea of supporting your technology longer than two years. What Sony. a concept. Yeah, so <laughs> um, that'd, be my, that'd be my pick. My, my runner up would probably be the um, always on, the approach to the always on display tech. Um, Those are the, the same. The same two I had, the Dynamic Island and the Always On Display. Even though the Always On Display has mostly been disliked, at least that's oh, my sense it. in my tech bubble, uh, I still think we're going to see loads of Android people say, okay, cool, put it in there. At least put it in there as an option. In yeah. that way, Apple has now given you the option of different ways of doing it. I think I think we're going to see some adoption of that kind of stuff. Um, okay, this is one kind of for Henry. <laughs> what is everyone going to find to complain about OnePlus this year? <laughs> well i was actually going to call out uh people trashing oneplus and saying parts bins just now i think oneplus is getting a, a pretty unfair rep because phones are all from parts that could 
may or may not have come from a bin. And uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't really understand. I don't really understand how a co- how a company that's owned by BBK and you've got Oppo and OnePlus. How has Oppo been the one that's come out being like, look at this innovative Find X series phone that is rightfully praised, and then just as good a flagship, in my opinion, in the, the OnePlus 10 Pro, everyone's like, oh, it's just like an Oppo phone with an extra lens mm-hmm. and some Hasselblad. Yeah. I think no, it's no one looks unfair. at the Oppos and says, oh, it's a OnePlus phone with ColorOS yeah, on. Yeah, and, and like, I, we rightly, I agree with you, like, ColorOS is good, and therefore, by extension, Oxygen OS is good, because it's <laughs> ColorOS. Yeah. But it gets trashed. Uh, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> what are they going to uh, get what, trashed What's going to happen in 2023 that they're going to get trashed for? Yeah, what's going to be the new, the uh, new OnePlus bugbear? You know, we've had the alert the slider, one. we've had the software. Yeah, the alert slider was a bit, of a bit of a PR dud for them because they said that they basically just wanted to get the phone out and it will come back. So that was a bit of a shot <laughs> in the foot. So yeah. I, I, yeah. I, w- I will admit that that was, that was a bit of a shame. And I think it's also unfair that, that, that they get um, they get lambasted for making more than one or two phones. Like mm. that, that, that just seems like a normal business thing for me. I think they'll probably get, my answer would be they'll get trashed no matter what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though the yeah. OnePlus eleven, the OnePlus eleven will have a new design, and people will say it looks ugly. Um, it looks like an Oppo. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, even though the OnePlus eleven, by all accounts, if we add all the bits together, will be a phone with the Snapdragon eight Gen two that gets uh, five years of uh, software support. So, in my book, that sounds like a good start. Um, so I'm not sure. I, okay, my final answer is. Cam- cameras for some reason <laughs> people just say the camera is not very good uh, and i can't really tell why that is i think uh, they're just not as good as marketing themselves anymore as they used to be yeah and i think yep. we all are slightly taken with the slick uh marketing machine behind oppo but for some reason OnePlus is just like yeah we got a new camera this year and everyone's like oh, you can try and impress me so i don't <laughs> think it's very good <laughs> We'll see. I think it'll probably be something to do with the camera or the software that they'll get trashed for, which is nothing new, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know I had such a had such a rant in me. Yeah, <laughs> came out of nowhere. That did. <laughs> Lewis, do you have do you have anything to add to the diatribe, or or should we move on? I think we should just move on after that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Henry. Uh, right. Okay. Across all of its subsidiaries, brands, product lines. How many phones is Xiaomi going to release in 2023? <laughs> oh 99. God. I was about to say, it's got to be around 100. It's got to be. They won't quite make triple digits, but they'll try their hardest. <laughs> there were just so many. Like, real... yeah. It just feels like Xiaomi release a phone literally every week. Like, So there's going to be at least 52. <laughs> and if we're using the phrase parts binning, Xiaomi it does name binning. Where we take exactly <laughs> yes. the same phone and call yep. it yep. something else and release it somewhere else and embargo it uh, in terms of a press announcement. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm pretty sure they've sometimes re-released the same phone in the same market under slightly different <laughs> names. So well, like, let's hope they don't notice yeah. this one. It's not on. <laughs> okay, what um, what is the silliest? fast charging speed we're going to hit again in a released phone not no no concept stuff what's going to hit the market how fast are we going next uh, year 300 oh you think we'll hit it's, 300 it's probably about as high as you can go isn't it mm. 240 is that what we're at now 
I don't think we've had a 240 on the market. No. I was going to say 240 because 240 is the tech Oppo showed off at MWC last year. Yeah. In a yeah. hypothetical, oh, we kind of built this, but it's, you know, it's super cool. But you know, if we put it in this the phone, is, this it might is, explode. This is the tech trend that I hope goes away in 2023, <laughs> if I'm allowed to say that as well. Yeah. Um, mm. You only need like 80 watts, and then your phone will charge in half an hour, unless the phones are going to get bigger batteries. Yeah, uh, I don't see why this is an arms race that the people are dealing with. Or, it's like, just numbers. It's, just, it's diminishing returns and it ruins the battery. It makes the phone more expensive. Uh, makes it hotter. Yeah, it's all. I, it really winds me up. <laughs> <laughs> all phones should have eighty watt fast charging with a charger in the box. That would be nice. That would be that would be the ideal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I mean I I have to say I agree there. I think there's a sweet spot around a hundred and and we've we've blown. We've blown way past it. Lewis, do you have a do you have a tech trend you wish would go away next year? Oh, um I'd say um remove the unnecessary cameras from mid range phones. Please. Yeah. Stop with the two megapixel macros and the depth sensors and all that crap and just spend a little bit more on the main camera and maybe the ultra wide. You know, just yeah. Just give me a good camera, good main camera yeah. and stop with the with, with the pointless yeah, extra especially with Xiaomi where they don't even have a lens, they'll just make a badge that says AI and just put that on the back because that just uh, looks yeah, like another no. camera. Please just stop all of that nonsense in 2023. Well, that's the extreme end of part spinning where they had like a four lens camera module they wanted to use, <laughs> but this phone only has two lenses. So they just use that bit anyway and yeah, print a sticker on top of the other lenses to, to highlight them. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I, I'd, I'd like to see similarly on cameras, I guess. I'd like to see the end of the absolutely enormous oversized camera modules on, yeah. on high-end flagships i know there's there's a trade-off there we want a variety of lenses and we want bigger image sensors but we've seen say one of the absolute best cameras this year was the s22 ultra like it's still in the conversation it's still really really great and it's got a fairly restrained camera module design yeah. yes there's a fair few lenses but it's a simple look it doesn't cover the whole phone it's understated. I much prefer that to the stuff that, say, Vivo and Xiaomi are doing, where they just put these huge blocks across the phone and mm-hmm. make the lenses as big as they can and uh, take up as much space as they can. I mean, even on the iPhone, it's just very imposing now, mm-hmm. like with the new sensor and stuff like that. It just it pops out a lot and it is a lot bigger. Well, it feels bigger, um, yep. personally. All right, last one. Um, comes back full circle a little bit. This is kind of related to that winners and losers question from before. And who do you think is the the dark horse of 2023 the company that's going to surprise us in a good way i want to say nokia um because the x30 was um a complete redesign on the x20 the x20 was a bit of a naff phone the x30 was genuinely in my opinion a competitor for the best mid-range phone along with the oppo uh, with mm-hmm. the um find n2 find n2 jesus christ i'm getting mixed up now the, <laughs> the oneplus nord <laughs> 2T. There we go. Yeah. Um, and the Nothing yeah. Phone 1. Um, and I really hope that they kind of continue that because it was just it, was a, it wasn't it was just a spec upgrade. It was like a complete redesign of the look of the camera module. Um, and obviously Nokia already has really good software support and they are focused on the, the mid-range market and the budget markets. Um, so if they kind of bring that design language to all of their budget and mid-range phones, I think they're going to be a very exciting player in that space. Yeah. I think that's a good one, and they have actually demonstrated that they can just completely change a line when it's for the better. Yeah, exactly. I think the, my 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 answer would be more of a hope that the, that Sony will do that, 
rather than a belief that they will. I thought that the, <laughs> five, the Xperia 5 Mark IV is one of the best phones they've done for a good long while, but it still comes with all the caveats of the point and shoot. Camera experience isn't great and the software support isn't up to par. And I think the uh, long and tall 21 by 9 look is slightly tired now. If they yeah. could refine that phone, make it a proper compact flagship um, at 800 pounds, I would like to see them do that. And so Sony, I think they've still got one surprise left left in them uh, in terms of the phones, but I don't have as much hope as I do for Lewis's pick there. Right. I would go with, it's a similarly a little optimistic, but I think Asus, uh, I think yeah. Oh, yeah. maybe the success of the ROG phone line has surprised even them, and I feel like that's probably part of what's then fueled their renewed interest in the Zen phones and take them a bit seriously. And that line, they've played around with it for a few years and it's never had a clear identity. Mm -hmm. The 9 feels like the best iteration we've had in quite a long time where they feel like they've hit something that really works for them. Yeah. And I'm really hoping we're going to see A, them double down on that with the Zenfone 10 or whatever we get, some new flagship in that space. But I would also love to see them just branch out a little bit. Let's take that form factor and put out something that's £400 rather than 700 And that yeah. was a really great Android mid-range experience oh, yeah. in, in a, with a sub-six-inch display. And that kind of thing. I don't think Asus are ever going to be in a position where they're a major, major phone industry player. I just don't think they can get there. But I would love to see them keep playing around with stuff like they have been. And if they could become the small phone people, uh, yeah, why not? That'd yeah, be awesome. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Thank you both. And thank you to everyone. This has uh, been our final episode of 2022. We will be back in 2023, of course. Uh, we're hoping to do an episode in that first week of 2023 where CES will be in full swing. So we'll be talking about whatever gets announced at CES. I wouldn't expect a lot of phones. It's never a big phone show, but we'll find no. what bits and pieces there are to talk about. And we'll be back chatting through all things CES. Uh, until then, thank you for being with us all this year. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. <laughs> thank you especially to any subscribers, whether that's uh, people who follow us on their podcast app of choice or are subscribed on YouTube. It really makes a big difference. And if you're not already, then please do. Um, we would love you to. And yeah, we'll be back. Have a good Christmas slash other holiday. Happy New Year. All, all of that, that kind stuff. Of stuff, I guess. Yeah, yeah. all the fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. All right Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.